Hey, happy Friday, and welcome back to another episode of the Stripe Show podcast. Happy hour edition, though, this Friday. I'm your host, Samantha Marks. We've got the one and only Travis Fulton. Golf is back. I've got my, um, what are you sipping on? I've got a matcha green tea yeah. latte. Don't ask me what it is. Well, I've got a little unsweet tea. Nothing in there yet. I know it's happy hour, but let's give it a few minutes, and we'll, we'll see if we can um, put something a little clearer in there. I am juiced up. I'm ready to go. I don't know what this is. It kind of tastes like uh, dirty bath water, but yeah, looks like, like dirty bath water. Yeah, it's fine. How are you? We got the Seahawks jersey on. We're rolling. Yes. Yeah, we got the playoffs starting tomorrow, of course. So I'm uh, super excited about that. But I'm especially excited about this year, 2021. You can see the the podcast here has went full video, and uh, the happy hour every Friday with Samantha Marks. I'm just happen to jump on here this week but i know you got a lot of stuff planned for this friday so can't wait man uh, golf's back you know we're in uh, we're in hawaii and i was laying in bed last night and i was watching golf live golf on tv looking at the ocean it's incredible because i like to call i like to call early morning golf coffee golf like if we yeah. get some 7 a.m you know how like the masters will broadcast from like 6 a.m on or something i like to get on twitter and say that it's coffee golf so i had to find something else to go with our 6 to 10 p.m broadcast window bed golf yeah it's no i think i it on yeah and that's kind of the first question and would you rather have bed golf or coffee golf i, I gotta tell you i i like bed golf i like bed golf i do I I think I'm full send on bed golf because I can just fall. It's very easy to fall asleep to. Every golfer can agree to that. Yeah. Every non-golfer can agree to that too. Yeah. I mean, I like morning golf, but I like bed golf. I, I didn't like particularly, you know, cause I picked Xander to win and cash out of the coaches. I didn't like that three putt on the last hole for par right before I went to bed. So I thought about that for, for a lot. Maybe that one stroke is going to cost me to coach, but. So JT played pretty well yesterday. We've got Justin Thomas defending champion, what are your thoughts on his swing? That's what I really am curious about that because his swing is so upright and mine is so flat and I want to be more JT-like, but I, I feel so weird. You know, I made the post last night in the Q&A because people were asking, you know, how does JT hit up on it? He hits like three or four degrees up on it with his driver and his left arm is so upright. When you see that upright of the lead arm, um, it, it doesn't mean the shaft's going to be upright. I mean, he still lays the shaft down, right? He's not pulling down on the handle where that shaft gets vertical. So he still lays it down beautifully. But when you see that upright of a lead arm, and then you see that right foot, you know how it just kind of pops yeah. straight up. You know, a lot of players roll down through the instep. He just cranks it straight up to the toe. Those players, they got to back up a little bit, which isn't taught. Like you're not teaching people to back up. Back up, meaning side bend to the right, where they have to fall back this way. So he's got to take some of that on, a decent amount of that on with the driver to still hit up on it. Because if you had that upright lead arm with that foot and you were just to cover it, I mean, your attack angle would be very, very steep. So he backs it up a little bit. But, you know, hey, I mean, from a science standpoint, is that the most efficient way to do it? Probably not. But he's the number one iron player in the world. So I'm not changing it. Quick question. I know we <laughs> talked about this a little bit last week. What is that first move that he does in his backswing? He rehearses yeah. the, the position one. Why Why does he do that? What is that about? I, you know, it's a good question. I don't know specifically what it is, but it's probably one of two things. He's either probably trying to get the, the shaft in his lead arm to probably just stay more in line to halfway back and or he's trying to get the face, the club face in a particular position. I think JT maybe tends to, 
maybe get the face a little too hooded going back. It always strikes me when he's doing it, he's trying to get the shaft and the lead arm in line, get a little more face rotation where the toe is a little bit more up, which isn't really great advice for most. But I think given kind of what he does, that would be where I would go and what he's rehearsing. I like it. I mean, he's playing well. He defending yeah. champion. He clearly likes that course. I saw he has the most rec- he has the record for the most rounds in the sixties at Kapalua, most of any player on tour. So he clearly likes that place a little bit. You know what I don't like is shooting three under and still being in the seventies. I don't like that. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Although I kind of have a hot take about par 71s and par 73s, and I think that they should just all be par 72s. <laughs> yeah, I'm 71. Hey, I'm two under. I shot 69, right? See, there's a difference here. Like when someone asks if it's a par 71, they're like, would you shoot? And you say 69. That sounds better than two under. Yeah, seven. I hate shooting 70. I'd rather shoot 71. Y- yeah, so now you shoot three under and you shoot 70, and it's like buzzkill. I don't yeah, like that. I don't, I don't think I agree with um with anything but a 72. And that's just a uh, a terrible take. So speaking of terrible takes, I asked on Instagram and Twitter if anybody was been out of shape about something, if they had any hot takes they wanted to add in anything in the sports industry, if anybody had any questions for me. So we got a very long list of <laughs> things. I mean, you can't even see it, but a very long list of things. So I say we just start going through them. Let's do it. So here's an interesting first question. This was the first one that was responded. And this is what I mean by that these questions are all over the place. Matt Smith says, what's a better hot dog, at the turn hot dog or baseball park hot dog? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I would say, in wow. my opinion, I would say baseball park hot dog mm-hmm. because you don't have to then exert any physical energy. Yeah, I mean, a ballpark dog, my generation, like, going to games, baseball, and baseball's kind of fizzling a little bit with the newer generation, but man, yeah, ballpark dog. I, I I'm giving it the go at the turn. I'm not usually, I'm not a hot dog guy. I I'm usually like a wrap or a Snickers bar. I'm like a chicken salad in a cup, like something oh, okay. cold. Cause I never play golf in the cold, so I don't want anything warm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think ballparks, that's a, that's a definite. All right. I agree with you there. What's a bigger no-no iron covers or high socks with shorts? Hmm. Well, see for me, like the high, <laughs> the high socks, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get the tube. sock. I don't get um, it to me. That's way worse. And you consider like iron covers, you have to be riding with them to see the iron covers. But if you're out there just cranking high socks, like everybody sees it. I mean, you're just out there like you don't care, like just under the kneecap. The high socks just screams grandpa. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I hear you and I understand. And this is something that I saw on Twitter the other day. Are iron covers okay when you're traveling? I still say no. But apparently that's a thing that I did not know existed. Yeah. People put iron covers on when they're traveling in order to like maintain the well-being of their okay with that i'm okay with that iron covers don't bother me that much to be quite honest with you high socks i don't i don't get i don't like and it's just like you know wow hot takes hot takes (laughs) joaco diaz i don't know how to pronounce it he asked what are you more proud of asking me being blocked by patrick reed or starting your own company And um, that's pretty easy. I'm pretty proud of being blocked by Justine. Um, Hmm. 
I still Why? what happened? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, and then when I tweeted about it, this was probably six months ago now. I tweeted about it at the screenshot because I, I have no idea what it was or what I said or because I mean you and I we kind of we kind of like Patrick Reed, right? Like yeah, I kind of like him. Hot I take. support him. Yeah. And I went to go look at his page one day for something and it said that I was blocked. And so I, I, I uh, tweeted a screenshot of it and you wouldn't believe the amount of people who were like, same, same, wow. same. And so I'm still working on the, uh, the t-shirts for the blocked by Patrick Reed club. I think that, um, I think that they would sell for sure. Well, you might as well add Brandel Chambly to that mix. I got blocked by Brandel last year <laughs> and the last, and I don't even know what I said. Like I didn't even say anything. Like we just, Never really even had a disagreement. The last thing that I tweeted to him was good luck in the senior open qualifier when he was over in Europe. And the, and then uh, like two weeks later, I get blocked. That's that's what I said, Travis. I, that's what I preach is just don't be nice because it never turns out well Gosh. for you. So that's why you just should just don't even don't even bother. Um, this is what I'm going to throw to you because okay. I don't necessarily think that I have an answer. Greatest comeback in sports history, any sport. Oh, wow, man. I'm not sure. Um, greatest comeback in, um, boy, it's a tough one on the spot. I mean, you think of golf, right? You think of Ben Hogan, right? Which was an incredible comeback. And then you think of tiger. Now, which one of those two are the bigger comeback? Um, you know, physically you could argue either one emotionally, um, I would have to say probably Tiger in the way that his name was just dragged through the public eye, right? And, you know, I mean, he obviously did some things that he regrets, but uh, those are probably the biggest two in golf. From a total sports standpoint, I'd have to put a little bit more thoughts to that, but you agree, Tiger Hogan from golf? Yeah, so that's why I don't really know if I have a ton of insight behind that because Tiger is really the only comeback story that I've seen in my lifetime. Right. You know? Like I was too young to, to know anything about Hogan's comeback or anything like that. So for me, like, I mean, Tiger falling off the face of the earth and having everybody crap talk him for months and years was like one of arguably one of the biggest stories of my childhood. You know what yeah. I mean? I've got all the magazines, I've got all the newspaper clippings, like as a, as a golfer, that was one of the biggest events of my life, which sounds yeah. terrible, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 You know, in, in, in football, Alex Smith has to be right there, who just came back. He's a quarterback for the Redskins, um, you know, nearly, as I understand, died from his injury just a year or two ago. And this long rehab with his leg, and he finally came back this year. I mean, it's an incredible story. Um, he's fighting a calf. They're in the playoffs, too. Um, I shouldn't say Redskins. It's the Washington football team. That's true. And um, he plays right after the Seahawks game tomorrow the night game on Saturday. So that's a great comeback. When I was younger, when Jordan retired and then came back, now he wasn't overcoming like, you know, injury or something in his life. At least we didn't know. I mean, his, his father did pass away. Um, right. But when he retired and then came back, that was huge. Like I can remember like, I mean, Jordan was the man. I mean, he was tiger of that era and probably even more popular across the world. So when he came back from, retirement that was that was exciting and then he did it again you know so the first time though was just incredible and he comes back and wins three more in a row championships 
Yeah, I just I think that um that's another thing that like I just didn't really live through. So people yeah. are like, well, who's your who's your favorite golfer of all time? I'm like, well, my all time is like from 2000 on. You know right. what I mean? From yeah. like when I remember playing golf and stuff like that. So it's just it's very different. Um, and here's one that that um I know we can we can take some time on this one. Jeremy Schilling, uh, good dude, uh, responded on Instagram. What does Jordan Spieth need to do to thrive in 2021? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> say it's maybe the same things that he's needed to do for the last two or three years get out of his own way yeah why is it every podcast i talk about jordan spieth every single <laughs> one the dude has been irrelevant for like two and a half years and yet we still talk about him i talked about him with mark rolfing on monday of course i, I think asked the question he's not irrelevant uh he's what does he need to do? Let's answer the question specifically. I've been on the record and say he needs to get a second opinion. This has gone on way too long. I think he has. I think he's worked with Butch. I think he's worked around a couple of different people. He needs to change some things up. I've been saying that for, for a couple of years. He needs to get the driver under control. The, 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 it, there's got to be something different here that happens from that because what he's been doing hasn't worked. It's no shot at anybody. It just hasn't worked. So he needs to get that better first and foremost. And I think there's, you know, I think there's some peace to be had with him probably internally, both off the course and on that needs to happen. When you play bad golf, it's easy to look disgruntled, impatient, those kinds of things. But I do think there's some self-reflect and self-repair that needs to happen on and off the course for him with getting the driver settled with different opinions and I think if he does those two things, I think he's bad. He's a genius. I mean, he you don't lose the genius of playing golf. I mean, he's not that old. He's 27 years old, I think. Um, yeah, same age as JT. So it, it's not over. He's coming back. It's just those steps have to take an easier said than done, though. I agree with you. And I think that a lot of people uh, lose that opinion in the translation when I tweet about the fact that he was a phase and blah, blah, whatever. I think that he's just the definition of insane, which is what my dad used to talk, like tell me about all the time as a kid. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Mm -hmm. Is that not the definition? Like I, that's how I feel like he's playing the game and he's played the game since 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, from, from the outside, that's what it appears. Right. It's what, it's what it appears. Yeah. Get it. We don't know what's yeah. going on, but yeah. the same, it's the same thing. He'll play good for one day, crap the bed for the next three days. Yeah. Like it's, it's the same stuff over and over again. Jordan so. seems very loyal to me. I don't know, Jordan. He seems very loyal to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's protecting his team that has helped him get to this point, which has been very impressive. I mean, credit all over the place. Uh, I think 11 wins, three major championships. I mean, Good grief. I mean, he was the poster child and playing number one player in the world when he was doing that, but it's broken down communication lines. I don't know what those specific reasons are, but it's not working. We're talking three years now. So something has to change. And I think it has, I don't think it'll be public, but I do think it has. And um, we'll see. I think it might be public after something does happen and results wise, you know, like he yeah. might come out win and then say, Oh, well, yeah. Cause I changed my coach six months ago or whatever. You know, there's too much. I think too much credit is given to coaches. Um, and then not enough blame mm. when things break down and, and coaches, you know, in golf, like at the highest level, there's a ton of talented people out there. Cameron Cork's a great coach, uh, who's worked with Jordan for, for many, many years. 
Um, but you think about other sports, right? You think about like head coach in the NFL, professional football. Okay, things are going well. Kansas City won it last year. They're, they are 14-2. and two. Andy Reid, a lot of praise, right? Andy Reid in, in Philly was ran out because – they were not winning, you know, like they, like they didn't win the Super Bowl, and then some things, you know, kind of faded apart. But Andy Reid took a beating <laughs> when things were bad. So you think about like pro sports and football and baseball and basketball. I mean, these coaches they get praised, but then they take a beating when things are not not in golf. Like you, you, it's not that it's not like that. Do you think that's because the coach is not in the game with the player in golf, right? Um, well, they're not in the game either with the other sports, so it's. But it's just interesting that I think they're that like the, the coaches in professional golf are treated a little bit differently. And man, I, I have a lot of respect for them, the guys that are out there that are doing this. Um, but, you know, players jumping around, we're, we're too sensitive to that. I went through that a little bit when I was coaching a lot and had a couple of players. We get very sensitive to that. And it's just the reality of sport is like, human nature is that they're probably going to move on at some point for whatever reason. It doesn't make you a bad coach. It's just, it is what it is, right? I mean, that's just the bottom line. People jump around and do different things, get different opinions. We've seen it with Ricky Fowler. We saw it with Tiger Woods for crying out loud, four different coaches. So I don't know. I just, it's a, it's a, we could talk for a while on this one, but I just think like, Jordan moving on and, and getting a second. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, God, no one cares. It's happening all the time. Do you think, and this is the last thing I'll ask off of that question. Do you think that coaches, especially in golf, very individual sport, very about mechanical stuff. Do you think that coaches kind of run their time out? Like some, like you can only get so much from one coach until you need to get another opinion or until you can start working on something else with a different person. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the shelf life seems to be getting shorter and shorter. I mean, I, I do, you know, like Justin Thomas, for example, worked with Matt Killen for a long time on putting. They're yeah. good friends. Um, Matt has helped Justin tremendously. Now, Justin Thomas works with John Graham, you know, right. and, and that's, and that's not to say that Justin wasn't successful with Matt. That's right, just right. right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, clearly they had a lot of success. Justin Thomas has won 13 times. So I think we just get too caught up a little bit sometimes, right? And in 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 my position in in sitting here, when you say something, hey, he's, he's moved on, he needs to get a second opinion. It's not a shot at the coach that's currently teaching him. It's just an opinion that, like, yeah, there the the time has happened here for three years. It's probably time for a second opinion. He's been very loyal to that, and I think it's cost him. I mean, I think it's cost him some time for sure. Um, but we'll see if he can if he can jump back. But these players jumping around and moving around and listening here, listening there, it is happening all the time. And I think I think the shelf life of those relationships will get shorter and shorter. Do you think that we make too big of a deal about it? Like it's the headline, it's the oh my god, they're leaving this coach, blah blah blah. You think it should just be a little bit more normalized? I mean, I think in in comparison to other sports, it, it's it is normal. I mean, it's 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 muted, <laughs> right? I mean, I think in other sports, it's a much bigger deal. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like when Andy Reid got, I mean, he got fired. He got let go. Like it's a bigger deal in other sports when it breaks down, not in golf. I mean, it's, it is kind of just, you know, kind of over here and then off they go. So I think it's a little different. I mean, their coaches are treated a little differently, I think, in golf versus, versus other sports. Um, 
but it's, it, I, I will say this, it's refreshing to talk to coaches who are really at peace with it too. And just like, look, I've told uh, my player to, to go get a second opinion, you know? So I think it's those that are not so tied to it emotionally and getting and, and letting players go do other things and being okay with that. I, I, I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Good insight there. I love that. Um, I don't know that I can answer this one because I don't do a lot of this, but uh, D-Mod Jr. asked, other than skins, best golf gambling game. And I don't really do a lot of that, except I do like six, six, and six. Like, yeah. But I don't I don't know anything else. So what would mm-hmm. you say? I love I'll, skins. I like Wolf Pig. Okay. Okay, so, but you have to play with five. I guess you don't have to. Um. So look at I've usually played with the five, but okay. So we'll say we have four players, right? And you have a captain on every hole and you just rotate them around and you got to hit in order. So you know, one, two, three, four, then the next hole is two, three, four, one, then the next hole is three, four, one, two, and then the next hole is four, one, two, three. Okay. You have to you have to stay in order. So I hit. Um second person hits, I don't like it. I'll pass. Third person hits. I don't like it. I'll pass. Fourth person hits. I don't like it. I'll pass. I'm the wolf. I'm going by myself. One against three. Now I hit second. I I don't, I don't hit a great shot. Let's say I'm on a par three. It's in the water. Like, Oh man, second person hit on the green. I'll take him. So it's one and two versus three or four. Right. But, but two can pig it. So now He's going by himself against the other three. Mm. Okay. okay. Or I hit a good shot. Second person doesn't hit a good shot. Third person hits a good shot. Okay, I'll take three. So it's one and three versus two or four, and we just play it out. I like that. Some strategy behind that. Yeah, there is some strategy. So you can wolf it, go by yourself. So you've seen all the shots. I'm going by myself. Or you pick someone, and that person you picked, is like, well, you're in the water and I'm two feet from the flag stick. I want to pick it. I'm going by myself. Or you just play the team game, right? As you pick yeah. and those two versus those two. So there is some strategy there. It's a good game. You can put points to it. Um, everybody's worth one point. Everybody's worth two points. Everybody's worth three points. A dollar a point, $2 a point, whatever. And uh, it's fun. Yeah, there's some strategy to it. I like it. Wolf, pig. Wolf pig. I like it. I'm just a typical uh, skins gal because it requires no strategy. Um, and if you're not putting for birdie, you just move on. So yeah. I like. Um, Beth Hildebrandt, worst feeling shot on the course, shank, top, etc. cetera. Um, I think it's 100% a thin shot in the cold. Mm. Nothing hurts my bones more than a thin shot in like 50 degree weather. Nothing hurts my bones more than the pitching wedge hitting my ankle bone. Okay, but that's not a shot. I know, but it's there's I, nothing more painful. I understand. I understand. Um, I'll say Shank. Okay, Adam Adirondack says he has a hot take, and he does, he said that he didn't know if it was too controversial to talk about. So <laughs> prepare yourself for this one. Bryson gets popped for steroids in 2021. Um, no. I don't think so. And if he does, you would never know. I agree with that. I think that, um, did you see his comment yesterday about hitting drivers really blacked out? Tell me. 
He said uh, he was talking about Kyle Berkshire and his time with Kyle Berkshire and Chris Como and Chris Como's living room or, you know, the, whatever that weird setup that Chris Como has. And mm-hmm. um, he was hitting with Kyle Berkshire and they were doing a, a live stream on Instagram, actually. And I tuned in on a Friday night. It was like midnight and they're hitting these drives. And, and apparently in his interview yesterday, the the reporter said, so what have you learned from Kyle or whatever? And Bryson said, well, I just asked him, you know, how hard does he go? Like, how hard does he swing? Kyle said, until I black out. And the reporter said, well, have you ever, have you ever done that? Like, have you ever gotten that close? And Bryson's like, no, well, I haven't gotten close, but I've gotten to where, you know, I'm seeing like tunnel vision and I have to back out. Like (laughs) what dude, what are you talking about? He can't help himself. Did you see his quote about the central nervous system? Yeah. Yeah. There's no chance that he knows what that means. Yeah. Well, I, I think the most telling was just out of the gate um, with Todd Lewis, right? Todd was interviewing him and he says, um, yeah, I'm just getting used to all this at a distance that I've picked up since you was he seen you last at the Masters, right? So it's like right out of the gate, just, you know, I'm, I'm back. I'm a man. I'm with you. He can't help himself. He, he can't, can't he can't he can't help himself at all when when it's time to talk about those things that he is doing specifically. <laughs> I was just I, I I laughed when he said that yeah, all this out of distance, I'm just trying to figure it out. Thank you know, thank God we got wide fairways here and I can kind of, you know, figure out I got some run out, you know, and, and make sure it doesn't run through the fairway. That's like come on. I mean, anyway. I guarantee his colleagues just roll their eyes. Guarantee. Yeah, yeah. Most we, of them, not all, we, most. We can move on before we uh, we get too deep into that one. <laughs> um, my friend Krista actually said, where does one start if they know nothing about golf? And I, my response was or would be to go to a place like Topgolf or go to yeah. a place like Drive Shack. Um, super fun, get to have some beers, have some chips and queso and just yeah. kind of bang it around. I think that's, I mean, that's fun for us to do and we do play golf. Um, and I think it's a great learning opportunity and it's a super fun environment and, um, you don't really have to know what you're doing, um, to have fun. So what, what would your advice be? I, no, I agree. I, I think that's how my answer has changed with top golf is yeah. Go with someone who maybe someone can take you who plays right. That you're one of your friends and you go to top golf and you just get up there, grab a club and off you go. Right. And enjoy the music, food, the atmosphere. And if you like it, then do it again. And then if you like it, then start pursuing, hey, where would I go for a half hour lesson to kind of learn a little bit about my grip and a little bit about my swing? Right. Yeah. And then go practice that at Top Golf. Or maybe you have a local driving range, you know, and then just kind of keep building momentum as you go. Yeah. I'm with you. But I think that Top Golf, those kind of places have definitely added some value in the. Oh, yeah. The beginner golf, especially when, I mean, you see like high school kids go there on like a Friday night and stuff. It's so cool. Yep. Um, it's so cool to see. Let's see. Um, Evan McGuire asked favorite spot on Dixon street in Arkansas. So Dixon street was our, um, kind of bar street with all the bars. And I actually worked at a bar my last semester in college called JJ's. Nice. And everyone in Arkansas knows about JJ's and it, they had $2 margaritas all day, every day happy hour. Everything was a dollar. Like everything was a dollar. And, um, so that was definitely my favorite place. You could, uh, be fat, drunk, and happy for like nine bucks. So it was incredible. Um, let's see. Warney says, how do you maintain the tempo of your swing? 
And I don't know that I have an answer to that. Um, I've always had a super kind of slow swing. I've struggled with it in college. I struggled a little bit with, with gaining some distance. I wasn't the longest hitter. I wasn't the shortest hitter, but I just, I didn't really have much swing speed and how much club speed and, um, very average length for a college girl. And, um, but I've always had a super slow tempo, especially on the way back. I've never struggled with getting quick. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any advice for working on tempo? I mean, you got really good tempo. I like taking five balls and lining them up, right? So you have just kind of line them up one, two, three, four, five, you put them on a tee and then you step up to the first ball, take your swing, hit it. Step up to the second ball, take your swing, hit it. Step up to the third ball. And like, there's no thinking involved. You just set the club down, get your balance, go. Set your club down on the second ball, go. Set your club down on the third ball, go. Like, so you're just kind of like trying to find this, this flow through these five balls. You're just finding your flow through these five balls or six balls. Kind of find your your tempo that you like that kind of works through you through these progressions. So, you know, maybe you do seven, if you need a longer run of balls to kind of start feeling what that is. Um, but yeah, you got really good tempo. You know, when you, when you watch, when I watch you swing. Thanks. I need to uh, submit my swing for show us your swing, get a little bit of a, uh, little bit of feedback going on. Yeah. Speaking of that, that's been huge. We're getting tons of swings, which is, which is great. We're in January, which is the off season. So, um, Show yeah, us your swing and be good. Even if people are swinging in their living room, like show yeah. us, you know, what you got. We can give you something to work on. There you go. <laughs> right? Like, yep. show us what you got. It's like that um, two-year-old. It, oh my God. That two-year-old got so much feedback on Twitter and Instagram. Nothing like making yourself feel bad about the golf swing. <laughs> um, so this is an interesting topic, staying on the topic of my golf swing. Um, someone asked about, I don't know if you've seen when I kind of like move my hips weird at the beginning of my swing. Um, so like when I set up, I kind of shift to the left a little bit. So when I was young, I was seven, I fell and broke my wrist, but I fell like pretty bad, very cartoon mm. style. I was on roller skates and I like cartoon style, my legs went up in the air and I fell on my butt, broke my wrist, whatever. But anyway, my hips are like permanently disaligned. So my hips, well, for the sake of the mirrored video, my hips are like this. So when I set up to the ball, I kind of bump them back into place. So I mm. kind of start, because if you start with your left hip too high and you're right, you're a right-handed player, it's like hard to get back to it. And so that was just something that I was taught when I was young was like, kind of try to level myself out a little bit and, and uh, make it easier to turn around. But people are like, Oh, you try to be like Matthew Wolf. I'm like, no, my legs are uneven. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, yeah. I just, I, my response wants to be like, yeah, well, I did it first. So yeah, right. Right. You're trying to be like Matthew Wolf. I basically invented Matthew Wolf. Like you did. You, he's, uh, <laughs> he's learned from you. He's been watching that fluid swing and preset. That's what I'm saying. Um, okay. Interlocking or overlap grip. I'm an overlapper. What are your thoughts? I'm an interlocker. I, I mean, I think you should do what feels comfortable to you. I mean, I, I, they're definitely a different connection. Um, I feel more secure with the interlock. I have really long fingers though. So that tends to give me a little more room. Um, at least it feels, but I think one of the two I think is preferred. There are some 10 finger grips. I mean, like Beth Daniel played 10 finger, um, Bob Estes played 10 finger interlocker though. Then how do you, what do you do on the putting green? I, 
I putt either left hand low or conventional. So I do putting green is reverse overlap. So this is more right. kind of down the side. Um, I think wherever you go, you, you've got to make sure that you can, you know, kind of cover the lead thumb up. Like you can kind of cover up that. You don't get too far underneath or way over on top. You can kind of cover up the side of that thumb and then have enough room, you know, to obviously get your fingers on there. So is there advantage to either one? Probably not. I mean, Nicholas, Nicholas and Tiger were interlocked. Um, and I would say like probably, I'd say 85% are probably overlap right now. That, that'd be the number that I would go. I like that. Um, hot take from Anthony Goins. Mm. Golf hoodies and leggings are perfectly acceptable golf attire. <clears throat> yeah. And I completely agree. I don't even yeah. think there's anything else you need to say about that. Um, why can't we just have, people you know, like, that. why can't we just have facilities that, hey, like, we wear that. You can wear, you have your golf attire. And then if you want those you know, country clubs and things that, that want to have a little different attire. Fine. Yeah. You can have both in golf. Like there's not, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. I think you and I tend to both encourage more of the, you know, the other side, right? Like let's loosen things up a little bit because yeah, things have been a little rigid and stiff in golf for too long. I agree with that. Um, but we can have both sides like there, you know, like we can go this way and there still can be some environments in golf that look, this is, this is the attire at these particular venues. I don't have a problem with that either. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that's something that I really like about winter park nine, which, you know, I play like every week. Um, it's a public course and it's right in the middle of the city. And I mean, I swear on a hot summer day, you'll, you'll literally drive by and there will be a dude in swim trunks and no shoes, (laughs) no shirt. Yep. And I love that. Like, who cares? It's a public course. It's like a short nine hole course. Like it's not like it's a stiff country club where you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in membership. Like it's a $15 greens fee. <laughs> you're out there driving yep. greens. Like it's the exact vibe that you want to give. And so like today I'm going to go play skins in this t-shirt and these leggings yep. and sneakers. And I love I, that. I grew up in Northern Idaho, little course called Pinehurst. That's what I wear. I wear t-shirts. I wear jeans, um, playing golf. Most of the time, when I went to college down in Lewiston, Idaho, there's a course called Bryden Canyon. You could play with your shirt off. Yep. Um, it, it and I did. So about, you know, the Discovery Land properties are getting more and more popular. The yeah. Baker Bay, the Troubadour, the Cor- uh, the um, Gaza Ranch, yeah. Madison Club. And that's kind of this upscale version of that, right? right? Like when I, when I went to Troubadour, they had a massive projector on the driving range, blasting college football on Saturday yeah, morning. Like that's awesome. just something that, and, but it's probably the same membership dues that you would pay at a very nice club where they make you tuck a shirt in. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's, it's, but that kind of stuff is gaining more and more popularity. And I think that that's ultimately how we bring more people to the game. Yeah. I think it's good. Like the discovery club, like Gauzers wasn't, isn't far from where I grew up and it wasn't there when I was young, but uh, discovery is attracting a, they're going after a, a particular type of person, right? That's cool with that. Um, there's people that are not, you know, so they'll go a different direction and we'll, they, they're trying to find a club that fits their needs. That's what I'm saying. Like we can have both. I think we're moving in a really good direction though. I tend to favor more of the discovery and the, I, I, I'm totally casual. I would rather wear, I'd rather untuck my shirt, listen to music, mm-hmm. have a couple beers, throw it around. Um, you know, 
not going to affect anybody. And that's the way I like to play golf. I mean, that's just, that's just me. Now I don't mind going and playing in tournament golf too, where it's, you know, my shirt tucked in, things are a little tighter. Like I'm fine with that too. Like I can, you can live in both worlds, but as I've getting older and I love where the game is going, I I'm, I'm definitely more in the casual aspect. Yeah. I'm with you too. And I think exactly like you said, you can have both. Yeah. But I think that it's funny when you look back and you look at like SP, SB 2K or whatever, those, the guys who all went down to Baker's Bay, Justin yeah. Thomas and all them, that's kind of when that kind of revolutionized and came about is that discovery land property where it was like, wait, they're on the golf course and swim trunks. And then that kind of gained more popularity of people going more casual. And so I think that that played a bigger role than maybe we think about on a day to day basis was that event that they did down there. Mm -hmm. I I think it's becoming more casual. I love it. It's becoming more inviting. More inviting. Um, I think it's good. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, All right. We got a few more. Okay. Uh, Brian Wilson, I don't know if this was asking me for my opinion or for some inside news, but I have, I have neither. What's the first tournament to let fans back in full capacity? Whoa. Now that is a, that is the hundred thousand dollar question right there. I mean, we're going to have, I mean, I think, go ahead. Um, you know, I think like you look at the waste management, you're probably looking at, um, you know, 2,500 a day, somewhere in there, you get to the players, things keep going, you know, can they, can they potentially get to that number? You know, is that a, is that a reasonable number to start 2,500 a day? Um, you know, the vaccines seem close, seems optimistic. So let's say we get, let's say we get vaccines and it's pretty regular here in the second quarter. I mean, is it unrealistic to think by the time the tour flips the page again um, in October, that we're back to full capacity. I don't think that's unrealistic, at least from my amateur take of understanding where we are with vaccines and what that's going to mean from a long-term effect. I'd be surprised if we see it before the end of this season, right? 2020, 2021 season. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I mean, I am supposed to go to the masters in November. So selfishly, I hope, I know it's not going to happen, but I, my, if you had me pick, my answer would be the Masters in uh, this April because then that means that I would be able to go. Oh, wow. Um, but I don't I'm, know about that. That seems. I know, but he asked my opinion. Yeah. Giving well, him I'm my- not, hey, I hope it happens. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. We need to make a, a TFG marketing trip to Augusta mm. if that happens. Um, all right. So we've got we've got four more. T. Bennett says, hot take, the Open is the best major. No. And I, that's all I have to say is just just no. I'm not even, we don't even need to get into that. That's that's asinine, to be quite honest with you. Um, the B-Man says, and I, I actually like this one, do away with all of the rub of the green rules. You should be able to get a free drop from fairway divots, plugged lies, et cetera. And I think that I agree, um, maybe in casual play. I don't know that, I mean, that's never going to be a thing in tournament play, right? Because there's not like a a defined enough line on what that means. Yeah. Yeah. You're never going to get that in professional golf ever. Yeah. I mean, you can't get on a day-to-day basis, but (laughs) yeah. I mean, you, you can't get the masters or the U S open to, to play lift clean in place in the yeah. fairways when it just rained two and a half inches. Like 
You know what I'm saying? Like, like we're so far from that in professional golf. It's, it's, it's crazy. And you know, and on the, on the, on the idea of rules. Okay. I would like to know when the last time someone on the PGA tour actually executed a drop on their own without bringing in an official. I'd like to know. Never. I mean, it has never happened. It's amazing. Like, do we understand the rules by now? I don't know. I don't know. So JT hits his ball, right? Yep. In the, in the high, high grass. And they're looking, they found it. Guy stepped on it. Caddy stepped on it. Okay. So he stepped on it. So they're like, get a, get an, get an official for the drop. It's like, I mean, don't we know? I mean, just can't we just facilitate that drop? Don't, don't we know? It just seems like we're at a point now, and I know there's a lot of money at stake. I get it, and they don't want to make a mistake, right? I, I, I'm sensitive to that, but it just seems like we're at a point now where uh, can, we, can we just make the basic drops? No, and I'm with you. I think it's really ridiculous because if you think about it in a way, it's not just JT that knows the rules. It's him and his caddy and the other two players and their caddies. There's six yeah. people who aren't confident in, in the no. – Basic 101 rules of golf. Like I, I'm with you. It's it's annoying. It slows up play. It takes up 15 minutes on my television. I like <laughs> show me something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, this is a good one that I've actually seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot about on Twitter recently. Golf ball washers are the most pointless piece of equipment <laughs> on the golf course. <laughs> Okay, but here's the thing that I'm seeing, <laughs> and I think I agree with this. Why are we not putting them by the green? Why are you putting them on the tee box when your ball should probably already be clean since you were just on the green? Why are we not putting them by the green where you can? That's a very, that is a very good point. I I saw this on Twitter about two months ago, and I haven't stopped thinking about it. To be totally honest, <laughs> man, I'm thinking about it right now. Why are they not by the car path on the yeah. green so that what I, I'm very confused by that. Yeah. Yeah. They need to go all together. They're just gross. They're, I don't know when the last water. <laughs> I mean, they're just gross. And absorb any water though. Those like little flimsy green pieces of paper. Oh, man, they're just, yeah, they need to go. And if they don't, they'll never go by the green from there. There's no way, but how pointless it is that they're by yeah. the box. <laughs> That's funny. It makes no sense. <laughs> and then the classic question. Somebody had to ask it because somebody's got to be that guy. Somebody's got to be that guy. Mitch Sikorsky, do you inhale or exhale before you swing? I have no idea. I hold my breath when I swing. I know the answer to that. So, and I, you know, honestly, I have, I would probably think inhale, but I don't, I don't think I have ever thought about that. You inhale and then you hold it. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. I would think so. You're not like sitting there in your backswing, like, yeah. <gasps> like <laughs> I try to swing as hard as I can. So I pass out. Yeah. You try like to, Bryson. yeah. 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 My no. CNS going as we sign off Stripe Show podcast, we will see you next week. See ya. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer 
in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 